Katie, what is happening? Hey, Jesse. There's something I need to talk to you about. Uh Uh-oh. So I got sort of a concerning message yesterday that I wanted to bring up with you. Hmm. Uh, Okay. All right. It says, uh, the message that I got says, have Jesse Single respond to these allegations. I saw Jesse Single at a clothing store in Brooklyn yesterday. I told him how cool it was to meet him in person, but I didn't want to be a douche and bother him and ask him for photos or anything. He said, oh, like you're doing now? I was taken aback and all I could say was, huh? But he kept cutting me off and going, huh, huh, huh? And closing his hand shut in front of my face. I walked away and continued with my shopping and I heard him chuckle and walk off. When I came to pay for my stuff up front, I saw he was trying to, to walk out the doors with like 15 pairs of cargo shorts in his hands without paying. The girl at the counter was very nice about it and professional and was like, sir, you need to pay for those first. At first, he kept pretending to be tired and not hear her, but eventually turned back around and brought them to the counter. When she took one of those shorts and started scanning it multiple times, he stopped her and told her to scan them each individually to prevent electrical in- interference and then turned around and winked at me. I don't even think that's a word. After she scanned each pair and put them in the bag and started to say the price, he kept interrupting her by yawning really loudly. Wow. Jesse, what do you what do you have to say about these allegations? I can't believe this person leaked that. This was a, a personal exchange that I, I just didn't want to get out. But, you know, there's some missing context here, I think. What's that? Okay, so first of all, the 15 pairs of cargo shorts. This was at an Old Navy, and there was this giant, like, weird box in the middle of the store, and there was a sign that was like... Uh, it turned out these cargo shorts were manufactured in a factory that is not sufficiently anti-racist. So we're selling them for 15 cents a piece. So, you know, do the math. 15 pairs of cargo shorts at 15 cents a piece. I think that's 225. That's right. I did that in my head, I think. Anyway, I was obviously enjoying the natural high of simultaneously acquiring a bunch of cheap cargo shorts while fighting racism. I mean, wouldn't you be feel the same way? Okay, so how does that explain you yawning in the poor cashier's face? And and what is electrical interference? What does that have to do with scanning shorts? I think, well, you sent this to me. It said inter- interference. Oh, interference. Yeah. Um, okay, a couple things. So the person who approached me was all like, oh, man, nice to meet you. The front of their shirt was a photo with me, like just my head crossed out like Ghostbuster style. And in the back, it was you giving a thumbs up and a little word bubble saying, I hate Jesse. So I did not think this was a good face. How are you doing? As for the cashier and why I made them scan every pair of cargo shorts individually, I don't know how to explain it. They were gender critical. I could just tell they were gender critical and I wanted to make their day a little bit harder. It was a turf. You were just fighting against the turfs. I was fighting against a turf. So, look, if you see me in Old Navy stocking up on cargo shorts, please don't. Please don't leak our interactions. That was really personal. I feel violated by it. Is there actually an Old Navy in Brooklyn? Yeah. (laughs) We're getting into, like, libel territory. (laughs) Uh, There is an Old Navy in the – there's, like, a sort of mall near where the Barclays Center is that has, you know, Target, Old Navy and stuff. And I – you know what? I've been there and I've enjoyed it. And they did not have a box full of cargo shorts being sold at 15 cents a pop. Okay, so just to clarify, you're saying that none of this actually happens. You do not get your cargo shorts from Old Navy. You get them from Goodwill. Yes, exactly. I get them from Goodwill. They have a different – actually, I get it from the Salvation Army because I know they support traditional family values, which I support, anti-gay marriage, all that. Yeah. Where do you buy your clothes? My cargo shorts? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) 
Jesse, I know that this will shock you because, but I am a lesbian, but I do not wear cargo shorts. I get all of my clothes, however, at a store called Whistle Workwear. Um, and I'm not kidding about this. This is a store that sells clothes for working men such as myself, people who work on ferries, people who work on road crews and podcasters. I thought you were going to say, like, all my clothes are hand-me-down from my carpenter neighbor's son. <laughs> he's, he's he's 15. Yeah, someone left that gripping yarn as a Apple podcast review, which I thought was very funny. What's their – we should shout them out. What's their username? You know, I don't actually know. The guy who tweeted me this uh, – a screenshot of this, his name is Justin, and his handle is at 30cent223, please. Um, so so – <laughs> Just rolls off the tongue. Yeah, maybe it was Justin. Thank you for that, Justin, if it was you. The uh, the Apple podcast person is called No Fun Allowed. That seems appropriate. I should also say that we are locked in an epic struggle between having our rating be 4.6 and 4.7. It just bounces back and forth because, um, you know, everyone hates us, so they try to drag us down. But then our fans, if you're a true fan, you'll give us a 5.0. Have you seen the the reviews for the new podcast from Serial in This American Life? Um, I think it's called What's Wrong With White People? <laughs> nice White Parents? Yes, Nice White Parents. That's what it is. We should talk about that podcast. I have very strong and mixed feelings about it. I have not seen the reviews, but I'm guessing it attracted some negative reviews. It did. Apparently, before it aired, there were like 3,000 reviews. Most of them were negative. So it had like, like two point something stars. Um, I'm sure that there were also a lot that were just like positive to counteract the negative the negative reviews but this did get the name is sort of inflammatory and this floated around twitter of course and people freaked out about the name before listening to the show um which turns out to actually be great for the show because when a podcast even before it comes out gets thousands of reviews it shoots up to the to the uh on the itunes chart yeah the whole like leaving a negative review for something you haven't heard or read or watched that really bothers me people shouldn't do that no but you should leave positive reviews for our shows whether you listen to them or not yeah that we okay i was gonna try to make you listen to that podcast so we could talk about it we can discuss that at a later date but there's like a lot going on there that is worthy of unpacking yeah it definitely is it's uh it's an interesting show what is the name of the podcast everyone's listening to right now that is not going to talk about the problem with white people or white parents or whatever the fuck this is the jesse single cargo short hour <laughs> i review every kind of cargo <laughs> shorts <laughs> Cargo shorts accessories, cargo, I interview cargo shorts designers. It is just every episode is four hours long. There are no commercial breaks. Sometimes I just get up to go to the bathroom, but I just leave the mic silent. That's just a single cargo shorts quarter day show. And our first uh, advertiser will be cargo shorts. Our first interview is with the guy who invented cargo shorts, Dr. Teddy Cargo. Yeah. <laughs> this is getting so stupid. All right. This is Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Single. I'm Katie Herzog. Katie, what are we what are we going to talk about today? Today we are going to talk about a controversy un, un, unspurling un, unspurling. No, that's a good word. We need to invent words. Unspurling. Okay. Today we are going to talk about a controversy unspurling in Seattle uh, concerning one of the public radio stations. But first, you have something you wanted to talk about? Yeah, there was a um, a story in the Atlantic called anti-racist arguments are tearing people apart and it's by Connor Friedersdorf who's a good guy and a good writer and this was about this incident that went viral it was a zoom meeting some months back of this is the NYC community education council for Manhattan district 2 it's just a group of parents who sort of discuss New York City school policy very tangled subject this is a group that doesn't actually have much power like they they make recommendations to this you know, uh, city department of education, those are non-binding, but there was this amazing clip of a white woman freaking out because a white guy 
was bouncing a black baby on his lap. Oh, I remember that one, yes. I just got to read this one short quote from it. She said, that, that is harmful. That makes people cry. It makes people log out of our meetings. The that in question is literally just a white dude who who had his black friend's baby on his lap for a little while. So whereas a lesser intellect such as myself would have just like written something snarky about this, Connor actually like interviewed a lot of the participants. And if you read it, he sort of unspurls, that's U-N-S-P-U-R-L-S. He unspurls his story about the role of uh, recent books like White Fragility and How to Be an Anti-Racist. And just the stuff these people say is so cult-like and it's so different from reading. Like there are so many good books about race in America. There's history books. There's sort of policy books. This particular brand of anti-racism, which I don't think it even deserves that title, but that's what it's called, that has caught on among the sorts of like highly educated liberals who, who, you know, run parent groups in New York. It's just, it renders them totally incapable of communicating with outsiders about anything. And especially when it comes to sort of complicated public policy discussions, like in this case, they're talking about whether there should be standardized tests that determine what middle school uh, kids in the insane New York public school system go to, which is a complicated question with costs and benefits, trade-offs, blah, blah, blah. These people just come across as drones. Like they literally are like, well, if you haven't read, read White Fragility, I can't explain that point I made to you, which is like, that's not how normal people talk. If you can't even defend your position without saying, read this whole book, you just shouldn't be involved in public life. Yeah. After reading that piece, I still do not understand why it was considered racist for this guy to bounce or harmful for this guy to have a baby bouncing on his leg. Apparently, a few minutes before this happened in the conversation, he made some sort of offhanded remark about how his living room was integrated right now because his his black friend was over with their kids. Um, and, and those two apparently like connecting those two saying my living room is integrated right now. And then six minutes later having a black child bouncing on his knee was somehow harmful i don't think the people saying it, it, it's sort of it's very much like affect driven like i am mad at this person therefore they must be racist because that's like the only lens through which they view the world but um in the grand scheme of world history you know how to be an anti-racist and white fragility and books like them what's the other one by your your close friend from the pacific northwest oh ijama ijama luo um uh how to talk about race Yes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, in the grand scheme of human history, these books are, are small, very small. But at the moment, they are the way like the educated white liberal types who do have a lot of decision making power talk about race. So I just think um, I appreciate people like Connor Friedersdorf who can sort of dive in and show the effect these, um, you know, the, these books and ideas have on the world. Did you see that Jack from Twitter gave Ibram Kendi $10 million? That could have gone to Blocked and Reported. Yeah, <laughs> it could have been gone to Black and Reported, the only true anti-racism podcast. I honestly, just for, to see the effect it would have on Twitter, I want him to announce that he has reconsidered and is instead giving the money to us. That's the only reason, just for the effect on Twitter. That's the only reason. Well, I, do you think that we are sort of backing ourselves into a corner in which at some point we're going to have to do a whole episode on how to be an anti-racist the way we deal with white fragility? Yeah, we we might have to at some point. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but Oliver Trolde, um, friend of the pod. Um, well, I think he's a friend of the pod. Is he a friend of the pod? He's a friend with benefit. Friend of with benefits yeah. of the pod. Um, so Oliver, he's a he's a PhD student at, at Notre Dame. Um, he wrote a review, I think, in Arc Digital about this book, and he pointed out something 
I thought was very, very good, um, that Robin D'Angelo, our old friend Robin, has really taken the brunt of the criticism over this anti-racism literature. Uh, and the reason for that, I think, is fairly obvious, which is that she's white. And it is easier for white people such as ourselves, if you count. I'm not sure that you do. Depends on who's asking. Are lesbians white? <laughs> <laughs> Only white lesbians are white. Um, uh, okay. It is easier for us. It is less dangerous for us from a social and professional perspective to criticize Robin D'Angelo even though Ibram Kendi should also be criticized. No, I think only white people should be criticized. I guess you and I will have to agree to disagree on that. Okay, sure. I will say like the little, the bits I've read of, of reviews, I don't want to talk about a book I haven't read, but like his whole thing is that every action or law or whatever is either racist or anti-racist just isn't. In most cases, if someone um, presented a worldview that Manichaean would be like, well, things are sometimes more complicated than that. Right. And he, so he has pitched the idea he wrote in i think politico last year maybe this year um he pitched this idea of having a federal department of anti-racism and that department would be tasked with basically thought policing um with with enforcing laws against racist expressing racist thoughts uh which is kind of terrifying even if you object to racism on principle the idea that the federal government should be involved in, in policing people's speech and and thoughts is frankly un-american um and i i don't think that under joe biden necessarily we will be seeing this instituted however i think that if some of the other democrats running for uh for president had won the primary and hypothetically won the election this is a possibility and i i do find that pretty terrifying well, but as Kendi himself points out, it would um, it would require a constitutional amendment because otherwise it's just such an obvious infringement of free speech. But it's just such a transparently bad idea. And um, yeah, actually, someone posted a screenshot of it, but it goes, yeah, a Department of Anti-Racism comprised of formally trained experts. Presumably, he means us. Yeah, on racism and no and no political appointees because of course there's no politics that go to determine what's considered racism. That's just not, I mean. Okay, let's maybe do that episode. We would have to read the book, but I mean, we're just both very opposed to reading in general. So this would be an uphill climb for us. Yeah, if there's like a picture book version, maybe one for kids, like, <laughs> I don't know, anti-racism baby, maybe we could just review anti-racism baby. Yeah, that's the whole thing now, right? Yeah, his. so he has a book called Anti-Racism Baby. And when I like walk around town, um, when I like see a bookstore, it is in the fucking window of every bookstore and every baby store um, that that I've seen in like the past three months. To be fair, it, like how many times has this happened to you? You're over at a friend's house with their baby and the kid's first words are like, black crime. <laughs> all the time. Happens all the time. All these racist babies. Uh yeah, that was all I wanted to say about Connor's piece, except also I – my first ever trip to LA was last March. It feels like forever ago. I got lunch with Connor and what's awesome about this guy is like – would you say he – given how like polite and to the point he is on Twitter, he attracts a lot of haters, right? Yeah, absolutely. He doesn't deserve it unlike some people. Unlike us. But yeah, and then like he just like lives in Venice Beach and just has like – the best job ever and i just i don't know in terms of like the whole living well is the best revenge thing i was happy to see his uh his setup i like it when people who deal with bullshit online do well offline did you guys go to a muscle beach together <laughs> yeah, I, was just, I just had my uh my shirt off just my sort of belly flowing over my cargo <laughs> shorts he was wearing a tuxedo for some reason it was like 
very disturbingly sensual. Yeah, it sounds like it. Okay, let's move on. Let's do it. So today we are going to be talking about Cliff Mass. Jesse, what do you know about Cliff Mass? He is a weather expert and professor at the University of Washington, right? That is true. So Cliff is is sort of famous in this area, in the Pacific Northwest, the Seattle area in particular, um, for a couple of different reasons. The first reason is his is his weather forecast. So he's a really, really good weatherman. Um, he was on KOW, the Seattle public radio station, for like 15 years before he was fired uh, from that. And we'll, we'll get to the reasons behind that in a little while. And then he spent the last maybe – five or six years on KNKX, which is the rival public radio, the scrappy upstart rival public radio station in Seattle. And so in addition to his weather forecasting, Cliff is also a political commentator. He has a blog that is primarily about weather and weather patterns and things like that. Um, but he also talks about what's going on in the world. And he is his personality is caustic. A lot of people think he's an asshole. I sort of enjoy him, but he has a, a manner that that turns a lot of people off. Um, he he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, and or he seems to think that he's the smartest guy in the room. And sometimes he probably is the smartest guy in the room. But 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 people, lots of people like him, but lots of people don't like him. And I'm not sure what the breakdown is here, but let's just say he's a divisive figure in this area. And so on August 5th, Cliff wrote a blog post that would end up being his professional undoing in some ways. So this post was called Seattle, A City in Fear Can Be Restored. And in it, he talks about walking around downtown Seattle. Apparently, he like walked around downtown for two hours, and it, it doesn't seem like he'd been there for a while. Um, there were parts of it that were pretty offensive. Like there, he took a photo of one point of somebody laying on the ground, uh, maybe sleeping, who knows? Uh, probably not. But somebody laying on the ground. And this is a, you know, a, a common site in Seattle. There's a big homelessness problem, especially during during pandemic days when you walk around downtown Seattle and the businesses are all closed. So it's 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 like being in this strange world where like the rapture has come and taken taken everybody who has a home or like doesn't hear voices. Um, so it's a strange place to be right now, like many American cities. And so Cliff had a picture of somebody on the blog and the caption, he has since changed this, but the caption said something like, this individual um, is either passed out or dead or something like that. So like not a lot of sensitivity coming from Cliff. Um, so that was the first thing. And so he he writes about going to this like McDonald's downtown and seeing a drug deal. Um, he writes about how all of the buildings were boarded up. And I think it, so he equates all of the buildings bo being boarded up to the, the aftermath of the George Floyd killing in Minneapolis when there were riots and protests and legitimate protests, uh, in downtown Seattle. And I think he's a little bit wrong about this because buildings were boarded up way before that. People were building up mornings basically when the shutdown started. And I'm sure they were doing it to prevent looting, but I don't think that the two are necessarily directly connected. I'm sure in some cases they are. I'm sure some businesses uh, were not boarded up before the protests and then they boarded up after the protests. But there's also lots of businesses that have been boarded up since March. Um, so I think he I think he is extrapolating a little from that detail um, that might not be warranted. But here's where I got real, real bad. Let me read you a little paragraph here. Seattle has experienced a summer of fear and failure, with criminal activities reminiscent of Nazi Germany during the 1930s. During that time, thugs broke the windows of Jewish businesses throughout Germany, painted offensive statements on the walls, and threatened those who opposed them. Now, Seattle has had its crystal knocked, and the pictures of what occurred during the past few weeks are eerily similar to those of 80 years ago. And then he continues... 
Seattle's brown shirts have hidden within protest groups, attempting to destroy businesses both to deliver a political message of fear and to loot their contents. Dozens of police have been seriously injured by bottles and fireworks or partially blinded by lasers. Even in my neighborhood, graffiti calling for the killing of police have been sprayed at a prominent location. These are not protests complaining about official wrongdoing. This is wanton destruction, and no city can remain healthy if such antisocial activities are allowed to go unchecked. So couple things here. The Crystal Knot comparison, when I read this, I was sort of shocked that he made it because you are allowed to call Trump supporters Nazis. You are not allowed to call uh, anti-racist protesters Nazis. I should say he made it very clear within the blog that he was not talking about peaceful protesters. And in fact, he supports the rights of people to peacefully peacefully protest. What he was saying, he was comparing the rioters and the looters to Nazi brown shirts. Still, not a good look. This was obviously going to piss people off, and it did. Um, there was a wave of complaints to KNKX, and it took them about a day before they fired Cliff. And uh, they took his took his uh, segment off air. It's usually it airs on Fridays. I listened last Friday, and they didn't have any sort of explanation or acknowledgement that the most popular weather segment in the area was no longer going to be on air. They just sort of memory hold him. And I'll read you a little bit of KNKX's statement about this. On August 6th, so a day after the post went up, uh, they released a statement. We turn to our regular commenters for their expertise and points of view when it comes to sports, food, and the weather. But if a commenter, even on his own independent platform, delivers rhetoric that is offensive and inaccurate, we cannot support it. This is the case today with Cliff Mass. His post on his personal blog compares recent events in Seattle to Kristallnacht, the 1938 pogrom carried out by Nazi Germany, and draws distorted, offensive parallels between protesters and Nazi brown shirts. We abhor the comparison and find it sensationalized and misleading. It does not reflect who we are or what we stand for at KNKX. The, seg- the segment Weather with Cliff Mass will no longer air on KNKX. So Cliff is out. And there was a big outcry about this, both both on the anti-Cliff side and the pro-Cliff side. Um, I would say that publicly, most of the feedback that I saw w- agreed with KNKX, which is not surprising in a city like Seattle. This is not a city that appreciates diversity of thought. This is not a city that 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 can abide by contrarianism or divergent perspectives in, in any case, for the most part. Um, but I talked to Cliff, and he said that he has gotten over 700 supportive emails. I, I've also gotten a lot of emails that people have forwarded me that they sent to the station um, complaining about this. People who said, I don't agree with Cliff's comparison. I think it was offensive. I think it was bad. But this was on his personal blog. This has nothing to do with the weather. Um, What the fuck did you do this for? So it's a really complex story in some ways, because Cliff has a has a a long history in this area of, of pissing people off. And the station that as I will explain in a moment, scooped him up after he had been fired from the other station, has now sort of, I don't want to say given into the mob, but they kind of gave into the mob. Um, and so what appears to have happened, uh, according, this is according to Cliff, is that there were some major donors, some major KNKX donors who leaned on the station. And so my first assumption when I saw this was that this was probably coming from inside the house because there's such a a trend right now of primarily younger staffers at media organizations refusing to work with people they disagree with, either because of some sort of guilt by association thing, they don't they just don't want to be uh, you know associated with problematic people or because they think that, you know, uh, that this commentator or whoever is causing legitimate harm. 
And so uh, that's what I sort of assumed had happened because this has happened every fucking where else in media. Um, I know that KUOW, the rival station, also has a, a you know a, a cabal of of young staffers who have a lot of power. Um, which I know because a, a former producer of one of their their local shows told me recently that that I'd been blacklisted from a show that I used to be on over the. The, the complaints of of some of these staffers. Wait, so black blacklisted like they really had an internal policy that you just can't be invited on anymore? Yes. It, so there's a show called uh, Week in Review that every Friday they have a panel. Um, it's hosted by this guy, Bill Radke. And I've been on the show a few times. Bill and I seem to have a good relationship. But he, every time I'd be on the show, he would say, like, we'd love to have you back. That was fun. Um, and what I heard from a few people within the station is that they have a rule that I will no longer be allowed on the show. So a producer told me that he pitched me for something, something totally unrelated to politics after I'd written something about I'm not sure what it was. And uh, uh, they said, oh, we don't have Katie on the show. Dude, that's insane. But it, it's actually crazier than that because apparently the host of the show actually likes me. And he – but he, it doesn't matter because we have these like young producers. I don't know how, how old they are, but we have these producers who just like refuse to book me on the show. Um, so that's KOW. KNKX – is a station that I listen to daily and that I'm a, a member of. I, I I donate to the station in part because I felt like – a little bit of diversity of thought within this this ecosystem was really important, and they're the scrappier upstart station. That's what I liked about KNKX. It wasn't as sort of woke as uh, as KOW. KOW, by the way, also had Robin D'Angelo do a diversity training. Um, I have no idea how much how much how much they paid for that, or how much their donors paid for that. But but you can sort of imagine it's public radio. It's Seattle. It's you can imagine what it's like. Can I, can I do one bit, little bit of scuttlebutt that relates to this sort of young woke staffer thing? Yeah, I could do it. You'll remember like maybe a month ago, uh, a national public radio show called 1A did a segment about the Harper's Letter. Oh, I remember. Yeah, just said like as a true thing that the controversy surrounding me, I think they lumped me in with uh, J.K. Rowling, who's sort of a younger, less successful writer than me. Um, Never heard of her. Yeah, They said that I had made, quote, transphobic comments, like just as a true thing. And I haven't. And I emailed them. I was like, can you point me to what you're referring to? They eventually apologized. They posted my statement just saying that I hadn't. But I got a note from someone I know who works at the New York Times. And this person's theory, what he said was a scuttlebutt in the radio world, was like this show had taken on one young, very politically passionate producer like a few years ago or whatever. And from then on, the show just changed in like noticeable ways. And I think people – we've talked about this before. Like in in one sense, being a young staffer producer is precarious because you, you don't have a lot of power in the hierarchical sense. But like your work is what makes the trains run on time. And you're the one who decides what book gets reviewed or what, what who's allowed on a segment. They In a sense, they have a lot of power, right? Yeah. That was I was so fucking mad about that segment because not only did they malign you, did they like actually defame you on air? Their response to this afterwards was to pull that part of the segment from the online version. So if you well, they told me they did that anyway. That they always do a shorter. They claimed it was unrelated. I don't know if that's true, but they said that. Why would they post a shorter version online? Why would they do that? Um, I don't know. They said they do. I don't know. Someone would have to check if one A often. This is easily checkable. If like one A often does shorter 
online only versions that cut some content out. Yeah. So, sure. That, that's yeah. Somebody could check that. Um, I won't do it, but somebody should do it. Yeah. I'm not either. Someone. Regardless, what they didn't do was acknowledge it. So if you went, so I, I heard this live and I got real pissed about it and started tweeting about it. And then I posted a link to their, you know, the website that had the, had the, the segment. People listened to it and they didn't hear it. Why didn't they hear it? Well, because they cut it out, but they didn't have any acknowledgement of that on the site. They didn't acknowledge it on air. It was, it's just so fucking irresponsible. And then, I mean, there was another NPR show that um, didn't mention us by name, but compared us to like far right uh, Confederate apologists. It's just the 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 there's some uh, fact checking quality control issues in the moment. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but uh, Cliff Mass. Oh wait, can I do one quick dunk on Cliff Mass before you continue the story? Yeah, yeah. Do before it. you keep unspurling it, um, <laughs> let me just address Cliff Mass directly, if that's okay. Sure. He's probably listening. So Cliff Mass, here's what I have to say about your crystal not comment. Could you crystal not? <laughs> okay. That's it. So Cliff took the, the offensive lines out of his post and then he put them back up. Um, and he has, he's written another follow up post. He sort of explained what he was, what he was talking about. When I read the post, my first thought was that it was going to be offensive to Jewish people, to Holocaust survivors, because the comparison is so, I don't know. You're just talking about two, like, things that are so different. You're talking about ethnic cleansing versus, like, rioting and looting. It just seemed like to compare this to, like, an actual pogrom. Pogrom? 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 Pogrom, yeah. Just, I thought it, I thought it was, I thought it would be, I thought the people who would be pissed about this were Jews. Well, I was wrong about that. And it turns out that, that Cliff is actually Jewish himself. Um, the people who were pissed about it, of course, were supportive of Black Lives Matter. Um, even though Cliff, like, he was careful. He said, I am not talking about peaceful protesters. I am talking about the people who are writing, writing and looting. Um, and he has since then become something of a darling within the pro-police movement in Seattle, which is small and mostly comes from the suburbs and from the surrounding areas. But there was a big rally, a big support, you know, back the blue rally or whatever it was called a couple weeks ago. And Cliff ended up speaking at that. And then after that, this was just apropos of nothing, but it's extremely weird. Um, so they moved up to, to Chop Chaz, which is, you know, the autonomous zone um, in Seattle, that was that was developed in the aftermath of the protests, and it was this six block area this uh, where people essentially like seceded from the union for briefly until a bunch of people got killed um and so they had after this like back the blue rally there was a massive baptism there and so it's in this park it's called cal anderson park and it's named after the first openly gay i think state senator um who died of aids like it's a place where they're like i don't think this happens much anymore but like there was a robust like hookup culture it's just a super fucking gay park and they had this like very weird baptism in it anyway weird shit is going on in seattle Okay, so I want to tell you a little bit more about Cliff. Let's go back to let's go back to KUOW. So Cliff, in 2011, he was fired from KUOW, the rival public radio station, because as the weatherman, he would he was on the show every week and he would occasionally comment on things that were not related to the weather. And so he had this particular bugaboo about is that what a bugaboo is? I think so. Is that like a bug in your ass? Yeah. Okay. So he had this yeah, he had this particular pet peeve about the math curriculum coming out of the, the University of Washington School of Education. And the University of Washington School of Education, uh, let's just say this is a, a Robin D'Angelo kind of school. This is a very social 
social justice driven, intersectional, anti-racist. That's the ideology that primarily comes out of this school. I interviewed a couple graduates from this from from the UW School of Education last year, maybe the year before, and they told me that all they learned was sort of oppression dynamics. They didn't learn about how to build a curriculum or how to discipline or how to be a teacher. What they learned was basically this this sort of social justice ideology. And uh, so 10 years ago, Cliff gets pissed off because of the math curriculum coming out of the school. And he says that they're basically what they're teaching students in high schools. He, 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 he observed that he was his students were coming in to the school with low math skills. And so he talked about this on air. And he did this a couple times over the course of maybe a year or two. And not, not many times, just a couple of times. And uh, eventually, the apparent, this is according to him, the members of the School of Education got real pissed and they started complaining to KUOW. So KUOW fired him. And there was a you know a, a big scandal about that at the time. It was I it was sort of an early early cancel culture. And my take on that, I think in this case, I understand why Cliff was pissed. They said their reason for firing him was that they said that if they were going to give Cliff this time on air to talk about politics, they would have to bring on somebody else to give uh, to give the divergent perspective. I don't know if that's really true. I mean, as Cliff pointed out at the time, they had Rick Steves on the air. Rick Steves, the, the travel guy, he lives out here and he was a big proponent of legal weed. And so they would have Rick on air and he would talk about the legalization of weed and they wouldn't counter that with somebody who was anti-weed legalization. So it, definitely it was a little bit of hypocrisy. That said, he's the weatherman. If you came on, you know, if you came on a radio show to talk about the weather and all of a sudden you weren't talking about the weather, I can see why the station would make that decision. I don't know if it was the right one, but I think it's within their rights. Um, so Cliff gets fired from KOW. He gets scooped up by KNKX the next day. At the time, KNKX was actually a different station. It was known as KPLU. It was um, owned by uh, another local college here, Pacific Lutheran University. And so over the, the next couple of years, Cliff Cliff worked with KNKX. He developed this incredibly popular segment where he would talk about the weather, mostly talk about the weather, talk about other things occasionally. But it was pre-recorded so that they wouldn't have any sort of, you know, Cliff could not go off the rails because it was pre-recorded. It was edited. If he said something about politics, if he said something about math, they could take it out. But Cliff also is a controversial figure because of his stance on climate change. So he is often called a climate change denier. He has been called a climate change denier in the pages of The Stranger many times. He, One of my former colleagues referred to him as Trump's weatherman uh, not too long ago. People think that Cliff is a climate change denier. Cliff, however, is not a climate change denier. What he what he does is he talks about climate change from a, a like an intensely fact based perspective. So one particular of area, area of expertise of his is is Northwest snowpack, and Cliff has maintained for years that climate change is will not is not affecting Northwest snowpack. And this, as I am not an atmospheric scientist, I am not a weatherman. I, I am. I am not the person to to gauge the uh, the accuracy of his predictions at all, but this translate this has translated to Cliff saying climate change is happening. It is caused by carbon emissions has, but it is not the existential threat that the media and that activists say that it is. And by that, by existential threat, he means literally humanity ending 
you know, apocalyptic, we all die threat, um, particularly in, in the Pacific Northwest, that has gotten through the years, through the game of telephone, that is fucking everybody, that is social media, that is the internet, that has gotten translated to Cliff Mass as a climate change denier. Well, and then also, there was also the, um, there were two different, maybe you're going to talk about this, sorry, but there were two different ideas for a carbon tax in Washington State, and he was in favor of one, which to me suggests he's not a climate change denier. He was opposed to the other for very specific reasons about sort of who the money would go to and stuff, right? Right, right. So in, I think, 2016, yeah, so in 2016, do you have initiatives in, in New York? Is that some is that part of the like voting process there? I don't think in the exact same way they do. Like I know California is huge on ballot referenda and, and Washington too, right? I don't think in exactly the same way. Yeah. So there's a ton. There's always tons of initiatives. I think it's a West Coast thing in Washington State, California, and Oregon. And so in 2016, there was an initiative. It was uh, 1732. This was going to be a revenue neutral, a revenue neutral carbon tax. And Cliff was in favor of that. That did not pass. In 2019, there was another initiative, uh, I1631. And this one was, was different because it was not going to be revenue, revenue neutral and the money was going to go to special interest groups. And so Cliff was opposed to this and he wrote a blog about it. And I'm going to, I'm going to read you a, a section from that blog. The initiative hardwires money to certain special interest groups, the left-leaning supporters of the media. A minimum of 10% of the money goes to Indian tribes who are exempted from paying any carbon fee by the initiative. Labor advocates got a $50 million fund replenished annually for worker support programs. And to provide funding for, for the social action groups pushing the initiative, 35% of the money goes to pollution and health action areas of minority and vulnerable populations. There is more, but you get the message. And then below that, there was an image, like a, a black and white photo of pigs eating at a trough. And then the next paragraph. 1631 will be a trough of billions of dollars for far left social actions and progressive groups and dealing with climate change will be a secondary priority. Um, so that image of pigs in a trough, a bunch of people, some of his colleagues, listeners of KNKX, random people in Seattle decided that that was racist. <laughs> because so, wait, because some of the people advocating for this are minorities, this common image of pigs at a trough for sort of, you know, pork, special interest stuff was racist is the that's the thinking. Okay. Right. So I'll read you this is a line from a, a petition that has been going around to get Cliff fired from UW. He has equated communities of color, indigenous communities and union members to pigs. I fucking hate that man. It's so I mean cuz you and I have both had versions of that where like Something taken out of context five years ago becomes the truth that everyone knows about you who hates you. It's so frustrating and disingenuous. And of course, then they link to a blog post, um, a medium post of somebody making this same a a allegation. This is it still doesn't make the allegation correct, right? It's just somebody else had this opinion. It's still an incorrect opinion. A maybe an unwise metaphor. Sure. In this area, I guess right now. Um, but he was clearly talking about this, this old image this old metaphor pigs at a trough that's it yeah man that's um so they really hate him <laughs> they really fucking hate him so there have also been allegations of bullying um bullying women scientists in particular and i, I don't want to go too much into this because some of the people involved are um how do i say this politely total fucking assholes and they will have a fit and they will they will accuse me of harassing them for even bringing this up well but but one of them is I mean you tell me if you want to bring up her name but I read her articles on this and they were they were unhinged and like 
Why can't we say that? We can. We can? Okay. <laughs> what was her name? So there's a woman named Sarah Meyer, and she was a postdoc in oceanography at UW. I don't know what she does now. But she uh, started publishing these screeds against Cliff Mass in The Stranger. Um, so she accuses him of harassment, of, of demeaning her. And what, what actually happened, the conflict between the two of them started because Sarah testified at some, some state hearing on climate change and was asked by a, a state rep about Cliff Mass. And she's, she basically said something like, we don't like him. You know, his colleagues at the University of Washington uh, you know, he's a contrary and shitty climate scientist or whatever. Cliff took issue with that. And Cliff, if he if if you say something bad about him, he's not silent about it. He will go to the comments of your blog. He will go on Twitter um, and he will respond to that. Um, so he and Sarah ended up having like an exchange online. It was uncomfortable. He asked her to get coffee to sort of work this out. And then Sarah wrote later that he wagged his finger in her face um, and said she doesn't know anything about climate or something like that. Um, and like and demanded she, she retract stuff. Yes, right? and demanded that yeah. she retract it, which I think is probably true. Um, what he, what Cliff told me, and I, I reached out to Sarah for comment. I did it in sort of a, a shitty passive aggressive way. I, she had been tweeting about me. She said something about how I'm like phenomenally bad. And I responded to, to her tweet and I said, we're going to be talking about this on, uh, on my podcast. Do you want to comment? She didn't respond to that. So I, I probably could have gone about that in a more professional way, but she was never going to comment anyway. Um, she does not like me. I'm not totally sure why, but she doesn't like me. Well, so, so he, she, her version of this coffee, and I actually remember reading this at the time because it was crazy how different their accounts were her version is that he like jabs a finger in her face demands she retracts what she said and she's like i can't really retract something i said in public testimony and then what he says happened is that he did not yell at her and that she asked if they could co-author a column for the seattle times yeah so so Right. So she writes this this post on The Stranger. Cliff responds to it in a comment. Um, Cliff has written for The Stranger before. He like when he was dealing with the shit with KUW, he actually had some allies within or at least one ally on the staff. No allies anymore. Um, the Stranger is much more likely to call him Trump's weatherman than to give him a platform. But so he responded to this and he said this is a total lie and says that uh, I'll read it. I'll read you a section from it. She told me it was okay to exaggerate and deceive the public to get them to do the right thing. Stunningly, she said she was willing to admit I was okay if I agreed to do an op-ed piece with her for the Seattle Times. I could not believe it. I believe Sarah Meyer is doing a substantial disservice through the effort to deal with climate change, reducing the chance for bipartisan action, and calling folks names she does not agree with. Um, and she was asked to respond to that, and she said, I stand by everything in my piece. All of this is like standard Seattle bullshit, right? But I think the real interesting thing about this story is it's the difference between the science and the communication, right? So a couple years ago, there was another it was after the uh, after the after Cliff spoke out in against 1631, the carbon tax, there was some sort of struggle session within his department, um, where I think everybody probably, you know, shook their fingers at him and called him a bad man or whatever. And there have been multiple attempts to get him fired. Right now, Sarah Meyer is a part of a collective of people who, uh, I don't know how many hundreds of people have signed this letter, who are demanding that he get fired from the University of Washington. And we, it's just sort of remarkable because 
it's a black and white issue. This is there's no gray area here. He's a tenured professor. This is something he wrote on his personal blog. Even if he had said something wildly, uh, overtly racist, even if he had said climate change is a is a Chinese hoax, he still could not be fired from the University of Washington for this. Well, and so you know, I was I was reading some of the links you sent me to catch up on this guy and to get a sense of who he is. He's clearly a contrarian. He clearly has sharp elbows. I. The part where I was most sympathetic to him was he he argued pretty convincingly that he was really investigated by his university for expressing, you know, conservative and conservative-ish opinions online, which is crazy. And he recounted one incident in which the struggle session was advertised as an event with free chicken wings just to draw <laughs> students <laughs> If I'm ever, if I ever want to take you down, Katie, I'd just be like, all you can eat pizza party. We're going to evaluate Katie's performance on the podcast. Free cargo shorts. <laughs> Free cargo. Yeah. So like, I mean, I just, I, I can't about this trying to get people fired shit like is not, it's not good. Like it's especially a public university professor. Like so many states are run by, by Republican legislatures and this is, this is one of the things they do is they really try to get professors investigated and fired for being, you know, pro Black Lives Matter or too anti Israel or whatever. And even in cases where I disagree with what professors have to say, you you cannot have a system. You, you you're basically going down the road of the Soviet Union if you do this. It's a really bad idea. So another wild thing about this. So K and KX in May published a a report um, from an outside investigator. They hired Elizabeth Jensen, who is the former public a- public editor at NPR to investigate Cliff. Um, And she released a very thorough report. So she evaluated uh, the content of his of his weather broadcast. Um, They they got another another climate scientist to evaluate his his uh, his musings on climate change. And what she found is there's no there there. Um, he very rarely talked about climate change. He talked about uh, he talked about it when it was sort of when he thought it was relevant to to the weather. But this was not something that he often talked about, which maybe is part of the problem. A lot of funders apparently wanted him to talk about climate change all the time and connect every weather event with climate change, which as an aside. So before I started The Stranger, I worked for Grist, which is a, a climate change magazine, a climate change website. And we were constantly constantly told weather is not climate. And the reason is because every time it would snow and someone like James Einhoff would go on the floor of the Senate and throw a snowball into the crowd and say, like, it's snowing. This proves that global warming isn't real. That's the line. Climate, weather isn't climate. They're not the same thing. Unless it helps support our argument. Exactly. So it's just really inconsistent. Weather isn't climate until it's convenient. And and Cliff is a scientist. He still believes that weather isn't climate isn't climate so like at one point he got in a debate like they had a he had a formal debate with one of my former colleagues from the stranger charles mundede and they talked about how uh, at the seattle times the you know the big paper here a tree died somewhere in an arboretum and the seattle times was connecting the death of this one tree to climate change and cliff was saying you can't do that that is not backed up by the data we don't have that evidence um but charles's perspective who is he is not a climate scientist he's a uh, he, I don't know. I don't actually know. He's a philosopher, essentially, um, is that it doesn't matter because what's important is that the public gets the message that climate change is an existential, an existential threat, because unless the public gets the message that climate change is an existential threat, nothing will be done about it. That This is a thing that you see a lot among hardened ideologues. There was a 
not famous, but like internet famous blow up involving um, Scott Alexander, the Slate Star Codex rationalist guy who's who's come up before in his corners, you know, forever ago, six or seven years ago. He made the point that this common line that had been going around that um, false rape accusations are as as likely as a lightning strike is just wrong. And, you know, as a numerically quantitatively minded guy, he's like, don't spread stuff that's false. And this sort of Internet social justice figure was pretty explicitly arguing like it doesn't matter if it's false. It's important to tell people these accusations are rare. And that's a um, that's a really dangerous slippery slope because like we need we need principles and sort of like epistemic structures in place to help us understand the world. And that whole thing of like one anecdote is not data is actually important. And if you corrode that, it's going to bite you in the ass in the long term. Okay. Two things about this. First, both of my grandmothers were struck by lightning. Are you serious? Yeah. Did they both die? Of them. Um, well, I mean, they're both dead now. One of them did. One of them was a long, long time ago and she was fine. The other one, she was much older. She was in her eighties. And after she was struck by lightning, like her health declines quickly after that so they're probably connected that's crazy Um, but yeah both my grandmother's struck by lightning fun fact yeah um okay so the other thing uh about this is that you're you're totally correct and so the thing is cliff has become he's not a climate denier but he has become someone who the political right will use to further their own agenda i think that's true i asked cliff about this and he said basically i'm not an activist I'm a scientist. I cannot, you know, my I cannot lie. I cannot misrepresent the information and the data because activists don't want me to. That is not my job. And I think he's exactly right about this. The other thing is, if people get the impression that environmentalists and the media is exaggerating the, um, you know, the potential harms of, of climate change, and I, I do think that that happens. I think that climate change is a massive threat, but I do think there's a lot of exaggeration, like people like Greta Thunberg and everybody who've repeated the line that the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't get off of, you know, fossil fuels yesterday. Which isn't going to happen in the first place. So, like, fuck it, you know. Let's all just like start like smoking cigarettes and doing heroin because the world's going li- to end in twelve years. Apparently, um, when people hear that stuff and then it doesn't happen, they lose faith in institutions. They lose faith in scientists, even if scientists like Cliff are saying like, "No, climate change is a major threat. It will probably not end humanity in twelve years." Uh- I mean, what it comes down to is the world is complicated and there's a tendency to try to punish people who who dive into that complexity. Obviously, in this guy's case, he hasn't done himself any favors with his personality. But, you know, that's sort of a – yeah. as I say it, I realize it's a bullshit response because if he'd been making equally inflammatory statements from the left – There'd be no investigation of him by the University of Washington. You and I have seen that a ton. You can, if you have the right, quote unquote, right politics, you can be a raging asshole and it's considered fine because you're on the side of the angels. I wanted to read you just a little bit from the Elizabeth Jensen investigation into him. The criticisms have changed over time, but a couple things stood out. What's most striking about the letters of complaint is how little they refer to something Mass actually said on his weekly commentary. There are some specific complaints about on-air content, and I solicited other examples to make sure I understood the breadth of concerns, but most often the complaints seem to be about statements made on Mass's blog. I say seem to be because the complaints do not always specify referring to the first, refer- 
referring at first to remarks made on air, but then quoting from the blog or not specifying at all. Other complaints are about his political activities and a couple about his 2008 book. So the reason Cliff was fired from KNKX is not because of anything he said on air. He never talked about the initiatives on air. He didn't talk about Crystal Knocked on air. He was fired because of his personal blog. And Elizabeth Jensen's one recommendation to KNKX was not actually something that Cliff was responsible for. Her one recommendation was that they take off a link on the, the website where they have like weather with Cliff, Ma- Cliff Mass um, and would archive the audio. They had a link to his blog. So her one recommendation was to take the link off the blog. She basically found Cliff not culpable of any of the things that he is alleged to have done. And the, the, the climate scientist, who was actually a climate activist, who also investigated this along with her, found, I think, I think he found like there were two occasions in the years that Cliff had been doing this, um, the segment where he disagreed with Cliff on on some climate stuff. But for the most part, Cliff really didn't talk about climate. He talked about the weather. It was a fascinating segment. I'm sorry that it's going to be that that it's no longer on the air. Although when I talked to him, he said he's going to start a podcast. And honestly, he'll probably do better at a podcast. I was going to say this is like a, such a case study for like Patreon. Like if there are, you know, Seattle has I don't know, two, three, four million people. And then he probably has fans around the country. All he needs is a thousand. And this is a really lucrative side gig. Seattle has like 800,000 people, but yeah. Wait, really? The metro area? Not the metro area, but the... Yeah, that's what I meant. Well, anyway, my point is like, this is, it shouldn't be the case that people like, look, the Crystal Knock comment was ridiculous. I seriously think that for one-off comments like that, that aren't like using an ethnic slur, just if you have to suspend the guy a few weeks, do it. But um, yeah, it's just, it's not... And I just, I think it's good that one station did that investigation, like, because when you think about how many people are being quietly deplatformed or sort of purged, or you getting, like, blacklisted from a radio station, like, they, if they had actually compared the allegations about you made by, you know, teenagers with personality disorders online to what you've actually said or done, they would be like, why would we blacklist this person? That would be unfair. Right, right. Here's another section from the Elizabeth Jensen report. Some of the critics also impute the motive of climate denial or doubter to what Mass says. Motives for which is the offered evidence seem quite tenuous to me. When Mass does not include a climate reference in a commentary, then some of his critics charge it is because he is trying to sow climate skepticism. Alternate interpretations could be that he doesn't believe the the science support is or that the the scientific support is insufficient. So I... Like a year ago, I started working on a story about Cl- about Cliff that I never ended up finishing. Um, but I got in touch with some of the most prominent climate scientists in the country, um, names that I won't repeat, but people that if you're in this world, you have heard of. And I asked them, what do you think of Cliff Mast? And one in particular said he's a climate denier and a crank. You can read Cliff's fucking blog. He says over and over again, climate change is caused by carbon emissions. He is not a climate change denier. And so what that made me do was not trust Cliff less. It made me trust this guy left. And so then I went and I interviewed a people, a few people um, who work in this field at, at in outside departments. And I asked them about Cliff and they all had the same opinion, which is like, basically, he's right about the science. He's right about Western snowpack or Pacific Northwestern snowpack, um, specifically in the North Cascades. 
experience. But I can't say that, and I'm not going to get involved about. And I'm not going to get involved. Everything was off the record. Yeah, man, that's how it works. They won't like you. You, yeah, it's really frustrating. Yeah. Um. One fun fact about Cliff. So he was Carl Sagan's protege. He has a, a BS in, in physics from Cornell, and I asked him what he thought that Carl Sagan would think about this, and he said Carl Sagan would would be on his side. Obviously, we cannot get Carl Sagan for comment, but uh, I, I I tend to believe him. When I think about the sorts of people who would listen to Block and Reported, if if we could ask them, which we can't, um, you know, you have sort of what Aristotle. You got Martin Luther King. We would have so many, so many dead people would have listened to our show. Oh yeah, we are huge among the dead. <laughs> That's our biggest listenership is people who died. Can I, can I take one more shot at that woman who who went up against Cliff? Because I thought this was really crazy. Please do. I, I was actually surprised this got published. Um, Wait, in the stranger? Someone, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> dude, one Don't of her. Be. So. Okay, they had that lunch confrontation or coffee confrontation. I believe that was toward the end of her series of articles about him. Some of her others did not quite have – it would be like he made fun of me in a comment section or he, he impugned my scientific knowledge, which is like that does not mean he's harassing you. It means he's impugning your scientific knowledge. Um, right. And she did this She did this at a – like in the state house. Right. She did the exact same thing, not in a comment section. She did it in front of the, you know, the, the legislator. I will say Cliff did not deny that he sent like a flurry of emails to her boss after she testified about him. I think that's. Oh, I'm, I'm sure that he did. Yeah, I think that's fucked up. And I'm, you know, we've talked about one instance in which I did email someone's boss. I think if it gets extreme enough, you should, but just for normal criticism, no. Um, one of her stories about him starts with this heartbreaking anecdote about her friend's toddler having just died. And yes. I knew because you sent it to me, and I think from the headline, I was like, this is somehow going to pivot to her petty bullshit internet fight with Cliff Moss. And sure enough, she managed to segue from a dead two-year-old to her dumb fight with Cliff Moss. I was just like, how how did the stranger publish this? So yeah. <laughs> That's always the question. Well, she has been crowing about this. Um, I believe one of her tweets that I saw the other day said something about um, deplatforming bigots and denialists since 2020. She had another uh, she had another beauty about shit canning a weatherman so she seems super proud of this um of course um and maybe she should be i mean she got what she wanted i don't think we've yet had someone come at us <laughs> except for joe livingston well sort of we haven't yet had someone come at us with like the demo oh you're harassing this person by criticizing them but i i hate that because like these are public claims you made about someone other people are allowed to shine a light on them and be like Maybe you went too far. So I don't think anyone's going to do that here. But if they do, screw them. So last thing about this. Cliff told me that the total cost of investigating him, the Elizabeth Jensen uh, investigation, and all of the manpower hours that KNKX uh, devoted to this particular issue, the total he heard from a manager at the station was $100,000. I wrote the station and I asked them for what the cost is. They didn't get back to me. Maybe they will by the time this is uh, this is this is posted. In which case, we'll uh, we'll include an update. But that's what Cliff said: a hundred thousand dollars. I'm a fucking donor to that station. This is not how I want my money being used. I want all my money used for investigating people for political speech. Maybe we should do that with our Patreon money. We can just investigate each other over and over and over. I'll hire <laughs> it's a you. series of escalating <laughs> my stolen cargo shorts. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to hire a PI to get on that immediately. Uh, 
Yeah, this is this is an interesting story. I will say there's like a couple instances I'm looking into of universities really appearing to punish people for for political speech that should be in bounds that um I'm hoping to write about or maybe we can do a segment on on uh this podcast, but I think it universities are really shitty places to be contrarians of any stripe and I I that's not good. It should be the opposite. Yeah, it really should. But we are definitely going in the opposite direction. I mean, Cliff is protected because he's at a public university. If he were at a private university, he would not be protected. Well, I mean, he's protected, but like he still had to sit through the chicken wing struggle session, which would be a good band name, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, I feel bad for the guy. He has, uh, I'm sure, very few allies within the the university, at least people who are willing to publicly stand up for him. Um, That would put you in a terrible position anywhere in Seattle, especially in these sort of hyper-liberal circles, even if people love his weather forecasts, which are quite good. Um, yeah, I guess the only remaining loose loose end to tie, there's got to be pun potential for the episode title with the last name like Ma- Mass. It's Mass. 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 Cliff Mass Hysteria. Cliff ah, yes, Mass, that's good. Mass Effect. Cliff Mass of Fuck Up. Mass Climate Change Effects. Mass Effect. Keep thinking. You'll I'll figure it out. out. I'll spend the next five hours on this. Oh, one last thing about this that's, I think, worth pointing out. I worked in I worked in public radio. I worked at a member station in North Carolina, and I hosted a show for the local PBS station in Seattle. And you sign a contract, basically saying that you're not going to be an asshole online. You won't be an activist. You won't be political. Um, they're trying to protect the organization's reputation, which I completely understand. I was reprimanded uh, by PBS after I tweeted something about Donald Trump looking like a smash pump. I think that's fair. I signed, I signed the contract. I knew what was it. But don't they care about the truth? Like, that's objectively true. <laughs> shouldn't, that, shouldn't that count for something? Good point. Cliff did not sign that contract. Nowhere in his contract with KNKX was he was he instructed to not talk about whatever he wanted to on his blog. So this is not a matter of him violating any sort of agreement with the station. The agreement with the station was that he would not talk about politics on air, and he didn't. Um, And he still got fired. Not good. Not ideal. Did you have uh, anything else on this uh, very tangled but interesting tale? No, but I do. I really miss the weather segment this morning. It's like raining in August, which never happens here. And I would love to know what's going on. Unfortunately, do you want me to start recording a reactionary weather segment for you? Yeah, that'd be great. It's raining today. I guess the uh, I guess the Jews who control the sunshine uh, <laughs> fell asleep at the weather. <laughs> Even anti-Semitic weather with Jesse Single, who is himself Jewish. He hastens to remind everyone and therefore can make those jokes. It's going to be a real crystal knock tonight. <laughs> Just hail everywhere. Okay. Uh, Heil storms. <laughs> All right. If you have any comments, except on the last 30 seconds of this program, you can always email us at blocked and reported at gmail.com. We got the subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash blocked and reported. Please rate us on Apple Podcasts to help us win the 4.6 versus 4.7 war, upon which so much hinges, including the future of this great nation. What am I missing, Katie? I think that's it. This has been Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Single, and remember, you only get one chance to unspurl the story of your life. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, if the University of Washington ever offers you free chicken wings, it's a trick. <laughs>